So um, Paul had talked in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11, and, and we are supposed to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so uh, we are uh, uh, picking up at verse 17. Uh, so he had specifically talked about uh, being at the table of idols in chapter 10 and uh, contrasted that with the Lord's table and the Lord's supper and then addressed something that had been uh, questions that came from the church at Corinth uh, or comments at least that he then uh, makes correction to regarding uh, head covering and uh, women uh, in the church and uh, that's kind of a complex issue for today's culture so uh, if you get an opportunity to you know, review last week's study. Uh, we, we covered a lot of details there. And then you come to verse 17 as he's continuing to address uh, this church at Corinth. They've, they've really uh, drifted from what the Lord uh, wanted them to know and understand. Paul had been there and been teaching them and, and uh, they had been, you know, gaining a certain degree of maturity and then they had uh, negative uh, influences and teachers come into the church and uh, produce things uh, in their congregation that were really negative and uh, contrary to the things that Paul and the apostles uh, were teaching. So at verse 17, he says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you uh, regarding the head coverings, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Boy, that's a, quite a condemnation of any church that their gathering together is actually, you know, more negative than it is positive. Uh, we would never want that to be the commentary of our, our fellowship, that we come together uh, for the worse. For, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized amongst you. That is a verse I wish we could engrave like in a lot of places because, uh, you know, there is an attitude like, oh, if Christianity were real and right, then uh, everybody would be in agreement and nobody would be arguing or, you know, teaching anything contrary. And uh, that's just not the truth, because there are false teachers, there are prideful people, there are incorrect doctrines that have gone around. Obviously, here he is addressing it from the very beginning of the church. You know, the problem is the church is full of people, and people are sinful, and people are wrong. And so uh, within that, it should actually be an encouragement that there are divisions, strange as that is, so that you can determine uh, who's right and who, how you're going to determine that, right? Everybody's got an opinion. Well, it has to line up with the word of God. You, you need to be able to proof things out. Then people say, okay, well, you're going to do it according to the word of God. Whose interpretation of the word of God? No one's interpretation of the word of God. The word of God's interpretation of the word of God. You need to let God interpret himself. You need to let the word clarify itself. 
You can take a passage. We're going to do it in the, in the coming uh, chapters in regard to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take passages from way back here and passages way over here, and we're going to find out what is meant here in the ones that we're in. Letting the Word of God be the commentary on the Word of God. So the divisions need to happen. You, you start hanging out with the likes of the Jehovah's Witnesses or one of the cults, and they have the attitude like, no, everybody has to believe the exact same thing. You know, that issue of uniformity that I've talked about. Unity, different than uniformity, right? You know, uh, Oliver's interpretation and personal application versus Mark's interpretation and personal application versus my interpretation and personal application are allowed to have differences, right? You know, the locations that speak about uh, drinking, I take them with a hardened approach of Will Cass is never going to drink because I, I ruined my life with drugs and alcohol previously. So for me, it's an absolute exemption. You know, for someone else, there is room in the scripture for them to say, uh, I haven't ruined my life, my marriage, my finances with alcohol, and I'm not compelled by it. It has no mastery over me. Uh, so there are differences that are allowed. The factions that we're talking about that need to be set out are all of what Paul has been addressing for the last, you know, 10 plus chapters of first Corinthians, all the nonsense that is going on in their midst. I hear there's divisions among you. Of course, there's going to be divisions amongst you. Why? Because a bunch of you are wrong. <laughs> so somebody's got to correct you. They've got to take the word of God and apply it to those who are incorrect, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, keep that in mind, right? I mean, he says flat out, you're, you're eating the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. You're not at the Lord's table. You're at another table. You're doing something other than what the Lord has called you to do. Uh, so so you, you think that you're eating at the Lord's table, but you're not. That, that should stand as a warning to the church today. You know, the rituals and the rites that have been created, you know, uh, the part of Christendom that, you know, honors the Eucharist and says that somehow the, the priest has a mystical power to turn, uh, you know, the bread and the wine into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. I, I mean, those, that's not Christ's table. You're doing something other uh, than what the Lord has described here, you've, you've invented something that doesn't pertain to the Word of God. Here he's talking about a very specific thing in that you don't eat from the Lord's table. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. You got a guy who is a full-on glutton and this man over here who's starving. Are you calling that the Lord's table? That can't be the Lord's table that you're eating at where that sort of thing is going on at all. So, you know, this address that Paul is giving to them is to make sure they really begin to examine what is it that the Lord 
intended with our coming together. And of course, you know, those of us in this room have studied this enough to know that what they did is very different than the ritual we do. They, they would come together for a meal. They would come together and everyone would bring, you know, an entire spread for their family and they would share with one another. Uh, for some of the people who were showing up, that's the only full meal they were eating every week. They, they were slaves. They, they had been uh, conquered by the Roman Empire and sold into slavery and were now owned by someone and found the freedom somehow to come be in fellowship at the church and worship the Lord. And they arrive in their profound poverty and enslavement while someone else who's a slave owner and a businessman, maybe even the way it's described, maybe even the owner of that very slave, you know, coming in and telling them to go sit over there with the slaves and they themselves are eating and glutting themselves uh, to the point where they're drunk. And Paul is saying, clearly you're not at the Lord's table. <laughs> if, if this is how you're conducting yourself uh, in these times, you're, you're not at the Lord's table. Um, think about our study in uh, Ephesians, and uh, we are talking there specifically about the character of God and the fact that God's character is about being selfless, you know, the humble servant of Jesus Christ. And we, as children of God, uh, should be imitators of God. And he says that here, uh, even in the beginning of chapter 11. So, so the Lord's uh, personality is one of selflessness and servitude. And if we're children of God, then we're going to reflect that characteristic. So to have someone who comes in and is neglecting their brother and sister and, uh, you know, uh, selfishly caring for only themselves in the circumstances, he's saying you're, you're not more than not at the table. You're not a child of God who's been called to the Lord's, to your father's table uh, to be here and have the attitude of the Lord. So the dig is pretty deep. When he says, you know, I hear that there's divisions and fighting and factions. Among, but of course there would be because some of you, what he's saying, aren't even from the Lord's table. You know, you, you've got something else entirely different uh, going on there. For in eating, each of you takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? You know, exclamation point. He, you know, he, this is sort of the attitude of, how in the world could that be? Hey, guys, uh, that, um, you know, any such thing would ever be going on in the church, that, that one person would, uh, you know, be starving and somebody else would be so selfish and sinful that, you know, what they call the communion table, uh, they're actually getting drunk. Uh, you know, he, his you know, reaction there. So we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, I just finished up verse uh, 21, headed into 22. You know, what do you, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, think about, uh, you know, our study this morning in Leviticus as the Lord is talking about 
uh, you know, maybe someone from the nation of Israel uh, would fall into poverty and, and uh, be in want. And uh, the Lord says there, it's your responsibility to care for that person, not to give them a free handout, but to help them in whatever way escape uh, the poverty that they've fallen into, uh, you know, be that through encouragement or, you know, wisdom or, you know, direct financial assistance, you're going to help them help themselves, you know, as children of God, uh, you know, without charging usury, without charging interest, you're going to, you're going to have to help one another here. You're all of the family. Now, now keep this in mind that as Paul is saying this to them, this isn't him just slapping them about and you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong this is a matter of paul saying to this church you guys have rejected me and you've become your own guidance you you know you you've decided that you don't need me to teach you that i'm somehow disqualified and that you're so mature that you're going to head off and and be your own instructors and yet this is the place you've come to. You know, you've fallen to a place of sinfulness that, you know, somebody's literally coming to the Lord's table and getting drunk and, and calling that fellowship with Christ. Uh, so so it's, it's much bigger than just, you know, his uh, forcibly correcting them over their failures. It's, it's to pull them back under his leadership and his guidance. You know, shall I praise you for this? I do not. Praise you. Now, in uh, chapter 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And that's uh, a really significant thing in regard to our faith. Um, it's important that you share your faith, that you're, you're, you're talking to other people about the things the Lord is, has done and is doing in your life. You know, but also... Within that sharing, it really does need to be what the Lord is doing in your life. Um, there, there's a, an unfortunate tendency sometimes for people to share about the things that are happening in other people's lives. You know, I heard this happened to so and so. I heard that happened to so and so. You know, and and I I was taught this, and I heard that, and I learned that we need to be going and experiencing and learning from the Lord ourselves. There needs to be that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship. You know, if we're always experiencing our faith vicariously through someone else, uh, there's going to come a point where we realize how dead that faith is. It, it's not our own. We're, we're not seeking the Lord. We're not walking with the Lord in the process. So when Paul says... You know about the things he's he's about to share with them regarding communion, as we would describe it today. He's saying, "I received this directly from the Lord. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance." Of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
So, you know, here we get a complete understanding of what the Lord intended communion to be about, which is remembering. Um, you know, th this idea of uh, the transforming uh, that, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic institution insists the priests change the, uh, the bread and the cup into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And, and we've talked recently about the fact that they misappropriate passages from chapter 10 uh, in 1 Corinthians to mean that uh, the he, he's talking about the fact that the pagans, when they go into the temple and they sit down at the table, uh, which is a dining table, and they eat from the pagan temples, uh, the people that do that have in their mind the understanding that they are participating in the sacrifices that are performed to that God. So, you know, you as a believer uh, might show up and hear, hey, um, you know, you can get a two-inch thick T-bone steak, you know, 20 ounces in that restaurant right over there for 10 bucks, you know, three sides. And you'd be like, I'm going right now. And you go over and, you know, it's perfectly cooked and it's an amazing meal and you could care less about the fact that there's all this pagan weirdness around you. You are just there for, you know, the London broil that you really want or whatever. You know, you're there for good, cheap steak. Uh, the pagans that are there have the total mindset that I'm eating this right now as an act of worship and sacrifice to the pagan god who runs this temple. Uh, so in that, eating of the table was offering the sacrifice. So the Roman Catholic institution, because Paul describes that in contrast to the Lord's table, the Roman Catholic institution says, okay, so when we eat of the Lord's table, we're actually putting Jesus Christ through the sacrifice of the cross, again, in his body and his blood are being administered to us and we're consuming that. It's really quite strange. You know, Paul is holding it up in contrast to say, you know, that's what the pagans do. That's not what we do. We're not. We're not participating in that what we're doing is remembering remembering the sacrifice that was made and we do forget i am every time we come to communion i am deeply moved in the remembering you know once a month here we share in communion and when i have to hold that cup and that bread in my hands and think about this represents jesus christ's body and his blood that were poured out for me. Someone gave their life so that I would not have to spend an eternity separated from God. It moves me to tears. I literally cry almost every time that I think about my sinfulness and what it costs Jesus Christ. It's supposed to be the remembering. The fact that it has been so cheapened, it's been turned into a ritual. You know, the body and the blood, and here you go. And you partake of that. What's, what's that doing for me, right? It, it doesn't help a person, you know, to go through the ritual 
and have any more control, self-control over their sinful conduct. You know, the appetites of the flesh are going to be just as strong and you're going to have to exert yourself upon your own will in order to submit to God. It, it's in the remembering that I find a greater strength to, to look at the fact that, you know, how in the world can I walk away from the Lord's table and remembering his sacrifice and go and participate in things that I know he doesn't want me to? It's really hard to raise your voice at your spouse and be angry when you just came from the Lord's table and had to think about the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. You know, your selfishness has to be subdued. This is exactly what Paul wants happening in the hearts and minds of these people. It, it is that they would will. How in the world can you sit in a room and send your slave over there to sit with the dirty other slaves while you sit here uh, and you're, and, and, you know, think about what James is saying. You know, don't be impressed when somebody comes in in fine clothes and they're wearing rings, and you say, "Oh, come up here and sit in the front row," and and you usher the servant to the back of the room and say, "You sit over there." Why? Because Jesus Christ only ever looked like the servant that nobody wanted anything to do with. James, the half brother of Jesus, is remembering that. You know, all of the occasions where Jesus was rejected. You know, you're reading in Mark chapter 3, and you see that Jesus begins to claim to be the Son of God. And it was reported to Mary, and she and her children thought that Jesus was beside himself, out of his mind, and they went to collect him. Literally, haul him off to the funny farm. And when they get there, right, they, the crowd has just torn the roof apart and lowered the man down into Jesus' midst and healed him. And when they get, and there was a big discussion, remember that? You know, you think it's a big deal that I'm going to say to this man, you can be, how about the fact that I just told him that his sins are forgiven? But so that you know I have the power to forgive sins, I'll tell this man that he can take up his bed and walk. I'll heal him. Because they had just said only one can forgive sins, and that's God alone. And Jesus said, well, that's a good point. So since only God can forgive sins, let me prove to you that I did just forgive this man's sins by healing him. That all transpires, and then they say, hey, your mother and brothers are outside and want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers except for these right here in this room that do the will of my heavenly Father? That was a slap in the face of the likes of James that showed up to haul him away thinking that he was crazy. You know, these people coming in and pushing the servants over into their starvation, one going hungry while another gluts himself and makes himself drunk. That's communion to you. This, this is the spirit of Christ to you. That's, that's how you look at a relationship with the Lord. That's why he says at the beginning of this, let me explain to you what I received directly from the Lord. It's the remembrance of his sacrifice. That If that does not stir you to the place you need to be emotionally and spiritually and even physically in your conduct, then nothing's going to. 
Right? I mean, you know, what is pretending that the food you just ate magically turned into the body and blood of Jesus Christ as you swallowed it? What's that going to do for you? Nothing. It's not, it's, that's not going to change your conduct. If, if you don't look right at the fact that the God of all creation allowed himself to be killed in order that I would have salvation. If that doesn't stir your heart, if that doesn't move you into right thinking and right conduct, then nothing's going to. It's beyond what you are capable of responding to. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Again, the reassurance that he's coming. My goodness, you look around right now, and he is at the door. I, I just uh, listening to all the different things online and the opinions that are flying around. People are missing the mark all over the place. You know, they, oh, this is the time where there's going to be great change, and we're going to do wonderful things, and we're going to. No, these are the birth pains where we crest over the threshold and enter the kingdom. This, it, and you dare say that, and people are like, oh, see, now you're being arrogant. How could you possibly know? Jesus tells us, you see all these things happening? It's going to be like the fig tree putting forth its bud. And you say, right, he mocked them. Remember that? You say spring is near. He says, you see the sunset. We still use that, right? Red sails at night, sailors at light. Red sails in the morning, sailors take warning. That's still true to this day. Jesus mocked them and said, you can look at the signs of the season and the signs in the sky, and you can interpret what lies right ahead of you, but you cannot interpret what, you know, what is coming prophetically. You, you can look around the world and see what's going on, Right in your midst, and you can't recognize that Jesus Christ is at the door right now. You know, it's it's time to be ready. It's time to be opening that door for Jesus Christ and allowing him uh, into your presence that you would be with him. Proclaim this until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. I, uh, many years ago now, we had a men's conference and uh, handed out communion. And as we went to collect it, I found a, a cup that had the, the, uh, the drink in it. And somebody, they had put the cracker into the drink and just left it. And uh, I found out later that it was uh, because the person had two and didn't need it. And, um, I, but I picked that up and was just heartbroken with did somebody actually put this down and somehow think that they shouldn't partake of the communion and uh i talked to the guys about it and this idea of you know taking the cup in an unworthy manner uh none of us is worthy of the cup right none none of us is worthy of receiving the gift of Jesus Christ's life poured out for us. I mean, you know, 
it's kind of a strange attitude altogether to, to receive any gift and act like I deserve this, you know. <laughs> Anytime somebody acts like that, it's kind of odd. You know, there should always be a certain degree of humility involved. There are some gifts, you know, when you're given them, you you uh, you know how much it costs, you understand what went into it, and you are just you're you, you know humbled, doesn't even humiliated. You know, embarrassed with the oh my goodness, I can't I can't believe I received this. You know, I, I remember a number of years ago, we uh, we got taken advantage of by a landlord. Uh, we moved into a place, and the guy it, um, he ended up being a total crook. Contacted a friend of mine who's a lawyer, and uh, he, he no joke. I mean, this is all this man handles legally. I call up my friend and I'm just like, Judd, this is a circumstance I'm in and all this junk is going on and, you know, I, I need your help. And, and he just said, wait a minute, what is this person's name? And I tell him the guy's name and he's like, Will, pack your family up and get out of that house right now. You're not going to ever see a dime again. You're not, you're going to lose all the way across the board. We might be able to do something to punish him in the process, but you are going to lose big. So at Christmas, literally, I pack my whole family up and we move and I cannot even tell you how angry I was in the whole process. When, when it all came down, I had one last phone call with that landlord. And as I'm talking to him, he's laughing at me for the circumstance that he's put us in. I, 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 I mean, my wife had to talk me out of driving my truck as far into his home as I could. You know what I'm saying? I was just, I was out of my mind with this. Whole, it's Christmas and my little girls are going to go without Christmas because this creep is a criminal and he's ripping me off, right? And he's laughing at me about it. I was so angry. In the midst of it, uh, my wife had asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I went through, the, we both went through this long list of things where I wrote, I, I told her everything, every, thinking like, you know, if I get one of those items, that'd be cool. We both had no idea that there was someone who took that whole list and went and bought every single item, every single item for our kids and for us on that whole list. We cried for days over that whole deal because we moved thinking through Christmas. Everybody else is celebrating Christmas. We're packing trucks up and moving and we moved through Christmas and we're totally thinking like not going to have anything. We got everything that was on the list. That, that, that's, you know, a poor reflection of what I'm talking about here. There are certain gifts that when you receive them, you just know you don't deserve this. This, this is like so beyond Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Incredible. So this, this drinking in an unworthy manner, it's defined right here, uh, will be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. You're not, you're not going to examine yourself and be like, I've done pretty good. 
I, I, I deserve this cup after all. It's the idea of you're just going to have to drink it in humility. You're just going to have to accept the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. There's, there's, no, there's no drinking it in a worthy, I deserve this cup, I'll eat this bread, I'll drink this cup. It's a matter of discerning the Lord, and he even talks about that. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, that takes another step in this discussion. Because remember, he brought up those who may, you know, are eating to the point of drunkenness versus those who are starving. They come to church, they're having this common meal. That's how communion went at that time. It wasn't a ritual where everybody got a piece of cracker and a little cup. They, they would bring the food, they would sit down together, they would share the meal, break bread in communion. Rich people getting drunk. Slaves sitting in the corner without anything to eat. You eat the, the common meal of communion together, everyone should be sharing at the same level of wealth. You know, if that means that the rich people get very little, well, then that means you get to come down to where your enslaved brothers are and experience a little taste of what they are going through all the time. You know, well, those that are enslaved get to rise up in the moment and experience a little bit of the luxury that other people in the body, we are all being put on an even footing in the body of Christ. The body of the Lord is the people, right? This, this isn't a matter of, oh, you didn't even think about Jesus hanging on the cross. You know, your mind was elsewhere during the communion ritual. It's literally thinking as we partake of it, even in the ritual of, you know, I got a lot to rejoice for right now that uh, I guess I'll shock us all. Uh, do you remember Michelle Pelletier? Okay. Michelle's in the hospital right now living out her final hours. Okay. Um, uh, she was part of uh, um, last day's ministries with Keith Green. Uh, did a lot of their art years ago. Uh, brilliant woman, dear sister. And uh, she's exiting this life uh, even as we sit here. You know, she's in Eastern Maine Medical Center, uh, departing from this world. Uh, you know, we have abundance and luxury. Or maybe it's the other way around. Michelle has abundance and luxury, and we're sitting here in our impoverished state. We need to consider one another, you know, as we enjoy the security of our marriage. Is there somebody sitting next to us who's currently going through marital difficulty? You know, as I enjoy a weekly paycheck, is there a brother and sister who are collecting unemployment or unable to collect unemployment in our midst who are struggling? You know, I, I partake of the body without even discerning the body that's around me. Communion is common union of the body of Christ. And I, I think that moving it more and more and more into the ritual robs us of that. We don't, we don't stop and consider who's around us. What are they suffering? What are they blessed with? How is it that the body in our midst is currently being affected, is currently being touched? So in that end, 
you know, maybe I've been eating and drinking condemnation on myself in times I never even considered it because I haven't been thoughtful enough to consider my brother or sister who's right next to me. So it's a pretty deep uh, explanation for this reason. Many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. And, and the interpretations get weird there, right? Oh, because you didn't interpret, you didn't determine the body, didn't discern the body, rather. Uh, you've become cursed and sick. Or maybe it's that the brother or sister who's starving and being neglected is weak and sick because I, in my richness, haven't considered them, right? I mean, there are many things to consider in this whole process. Very easy to just read through these passages that maybe we've read many, many times in our life and ding right across the top of the high points and not let our mind and our heart sink down into what the Lord is actually saying uh, about the body of Christ. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And that's a perfect generalized statement, isn't it? If, if I would examine my heart, examine my mind, examine my conduct, and literally pass judgment, okay? That, that isn't a matter of, oh gosh, that is wrong, and then you just move on. See, when Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, judge not, lest you be judged, the measure by which you measure it out will be measured back to you. Now, so many people today, we hear that term, right? Judge not. Uh, that has little, it does pertain to how you think of other people, but it has little to do with that. It's the physical punishment, right? A couple of us in this room have been judged by the court systems. <laughs> you know, they actually handed down the judgment. It wasn't how they thought of us when we walked through the door. It's the, when they said, and you're going to jail for a matter of months. You know, you're a criminal and here's your punishment. That, that that punishment was the judgment. That's what Jesus was saying, judge not. You know, they, they were accustomed to doing that, right? Find the woman caught in the act of adultery, drag her out in the street, stone her to death. Jesus is saying, do not physically judge people as believers. That's not, that's not for you to do. Uh, there are people who act like that in the body of Christ today. I just... I mean, it, it's a vulgar term, but that whole Westboro Baptist group that, you know, a handful of years ago had the organization that was literally called God Hates Fags. You know, and they, they, were, they were attacking. God doesn't hate the homosexual. God hates homosexuality because of what it's doing to that person. He wants to deliver them from that the same as he delivered most of us from sexual sin we were involved in. Christ wants to deliver those people, but he doesn't have a hatred for them, right? Hate the sin, not the sinner. This is the character of God, to be compassionate and to be loving in the process. If we would literally judge ourselves, bring physical punishment upon yourself. This that I want and desire and do is sinful and wrong, and I am sentenced under it, and hereby, if nothing, I have to stop doing this. I have to stop giving myself this permission and no longer participate in this. Perform the judgment. 
right? You know, Joseph Stalin, uh, you know, what a wicked man. But, I, I mean, he, he was correct in his observation. People get upset with me to this day about it I, when he said, uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. People sedate themselves with their religion. They go out, they live horribly, they come in here, they read, they're convicted, they, oh, I feel terrible, oh, God, and then they go right back out the door and do the same thing. You know, the broken heart, the, the weeping, the sorrow, that's that period of time where they make themselves feel good. Of, I, just, I felt terrible about having done that and went right back and did it again. Yeah, you actually got to pass judgment on yourself and affect the change. You know, really bring about what was supposed to happen. You would not be judged. If you would judge yourself, you would not be judged. You, know, you want to be cleared of these things? Then actually start carrying out the sentence. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Uh, the Lord, uh, my goodness, uh, it's much too personal, but I don't get away with anything. God is right there to just smack. And, uh, you know, what a gracious thing that, that the Lord is, is sure to make sure I get caught. Uh, Hebrews says if you're getting away with it, you have to be concerned about whether you're a child of God. I'm paraphrasing, but God punishes his own children. And uh, he says, well, I won't, I won't even quote the King James. I'll, that's really crass in our modern culture. But, uh, you know, New King James says, if you're not being disciplined by God, if you're getting away with your sin, then you're illegitimate. Your illegitimate children. Uh, that that's a horrible thought. I do not want to be an illegitimate child of God. What a, what a strange concept. So he he says he, he literally encourages us to enjoy the correction, enjoy the discipline, enjoy the Lord's chastening, because one, it had better be teaching you, and two, it's an evidence that you're a child of God. Yeah. Sometimes stinks with why am I always getting punished? Why do I? Why can't I can't get away with anything? Well, okay, it's uh, uncomfortable, but there's a couple things to learn in that. One, you're a child of God, and two, cut it out. You know, stop testing the Lord. Stop pushing His limits, and, and allow yourself. Oh, the blessing, the fulfillment, right? The fruitfulness, the richness of not living that way anymore. To, you know, to not participate in those circumstances. It's a great blessing. I, I uh, freaked a fellow employee out years ago. Uh, we were working in a huge store, and uh, people got in a bunch of trouble for this, not us. But uh, we were stripping the floors, and um, I, I opened a closet door, and there's, you've seen those biggest L.L. Bean tote bags, those canvas bags, right? Giant ones. They're like super deep. And I, I opened the closet. We're cleaning. All the desks have to go. Everything. We're going to strip all the wax off on all this floor and, and refinish everything. I opened the closet door in this office, and there's an L.L. Bean canvas tote bag sitting on the floor uh, filled with money rolls like this. 
The whole thing. Full. Not ones. And you should have seen my co-worker's eyes. You could just you could see like Bahamas written right across his face. You know what I'm saying? And I, I literally, as he's reaching for it, I grabbed him and just said, no. And he was like, well, we, and I said, guy, we'll both go to jail is what will happen. There's no, there's no getting away with this. And he, you could see the logic kicked in. And I just said, we're taking this to the powers that be right now. And that's what I mean by people got in trouble. I mean, it was completely unsecured. The office was unlocked and that closet was unlocked. You know, it, it, it was a, a true test. It never entered my heart. It entered his heart, you know, as an unredeemed, uh, you know, non-Christian. It, it entered his heart deeply. My heart was, no, I can't do that. I cannot do this. I'm a child of God. My master isn't going to allow me to get away with this. We needed when we took it to the management of that business, huge business in Bangor. We took it to the management, and man, I mean, literally, alarms are going off, and like people are being called. And before it's done, there were some firings going on, and just some crazy stuff. Okay, it might have been days, weeks, or months later, but all of that would have been my problem. Right? Because I'm a child of God. That that's not part of my world anymore. I don't I do not get the freedom, quote unquote, uh, to to function that way. And you 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 know, there's all kinds of various levels of that, right? I, I appreciate the really small ones. That's a dramatic one. You know, the, the Lord is there all the time, correcting, steering, turning, pushing, you know, like a good father, making sure, no, you can't. Talk that we know you can't look at that. No, you can't think that way. It's not burdensome. It's wonderful. It's good. It's a freedom from those things, right? Because, you know, years ago it would be, you know, I'll take this little deviation and it'll become that bigger deviation and it'll become this giant thing and now I've made a massive mess of, you know, whatever. Usually my marriage first and then, you know, whatever else I might be able to run into the brick wall. Uh, today, got to get up, got to be in the word, you know, end my day. I got to fall asleep listening to the word of God, praise music and let my heart be calmed and settled by that. I got to constantly be being moved along by the power of his spirit. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come, regarding that. But the the, the simplicity, because he continues on for, what, uh, five more chapters here. But, uh, you know, right here in regard to the Lord's table, because he really started that all the way back in chapter 10, when he was talking about the idols and, and eating at those tables, to this is the fulfillment of what he's talking about at the Lord's table, which is... Being more concerned about your neighbor. This this is, you know, we have fellowship dinner here. Everybody brings food. We buy some pizzas and we all share a meal. That's fellowship dinner. Lord's table, you know, actually being considerate of others. The ritual robs us a little bit of that. And we need to move that into the spirit. 
of what is intended here, which is I need to be considerate of your spiritual condition, and you need to be considerate of my spiritual condition. We need to be thinking about one another and 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 think about all he said so far of how how do I build you up? How do you build me up? How do I see you become more successful as a believer? How do you see me become more successful as a believer? How does my life affect you to make your you more fulfilled, you more rich, you more accomplished? That needs to be uh, the the motivation of our heart. Uh, when we come together as a church, listen, you guys, you need to just beat it into your head right now that coming to church is not about you. And so, so much of the church is into that. You know, I, I, I cannot believe you go online, Facebook, different things, the complaints of, oh, you know, the music wasn't so great, and this was that, and I was, uh, I, me, mine, I, it's all about what I experienced. Yeah. Did you go there with the mindset of, uh, I get to go serve? Because that's what being in fellowship is supposed to be about, right? Jesus' whole purpose in coming to the earth was, I got to go serve those poor people. And... What did he teach us? I got to go serve those poor people. That's our life. That's our ministry. That's our calling. Nothing will destroy a church and a fellowship faster than coming into the place thinking about what am I going to get out of this? And what, what did I get out of this? And me, myself, and I, that unholy trinity, that's going to be ripped off the throne of our heart and the selfless, you know, God, man, Jesus Christ needs to take his rightful position on our throne. Amen. So that's the time we have uh, for this evening. So uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll fellowship. Lord, I thank you uh, for your love and your grace in our lives. And uh, this message from Paul, I pray that you would help us to be selfless people who were reflective of the character of our King and our Savior, Jesus. Help us to submit to you in all things. Accomplish your work and your will in our lives. Use us as your servants, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.